0: Young people are just capable of so much more than what they're enabled to do or even know that they can do. And I really wanted to create a a learning environment that empowered them to show what they could do and to do amazing things. If we can get done, as many homeschoolers know, your traditional quote unquote academic work in an hour to two hours a day, what could we take advantage of with that other time? You know, I've always enjoyed showing people and broadening their perspectives on things, whether that be through travel or other ways. And to be able to find the time to do that with young people and really show them how broad the world is and how many places there are to go and many ways to be and to get them the confidence and the mindset, as well as the skills to be able to do those things, I felt was going to empower them in ways to literally be able to do whatever they want to do.
1: As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world.
0: Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca
1: Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Rob Hugie. Rob has 20 plus years of experience opening and growing educational centers. He has run everything from test preparation centers to groups of regionally accredited colleges. After a six-month adventure of homeschooling his family in Central America, he was convinced there was a better way to prepare children for their futures. Rob and his wife, Christine, are the proud parents of four kids. Welcome, Rob.
0: Thanks for having me, Rebecca.
1: I'm so excited to have you as part of our podcast because we have so many, you know, before we were even starting, uh, we were just chatting about a numerous amount of topics with travel and, you know, our whole feelings on self-directed learning and, all of that kind of stuff. But before we get into it, about all those topics that we love, why don't you briefly tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, so I spent 25 years in education now. Well, I guess that starts to make me sound old. Um, <laughs> mostly in a professional education and then in higher education and using really technology and cognitive science in outcomes-based pieces to really disrupt what was going on. And so rebuilding different industries, bringing in lots of uh, very powerful education tools, making education very efficient, and focusing on where people wanted to go in their lives. So even when I was in higher ed, it was about taking mostly first-generation college students And getting the skills and mindset to get on that next level where they wanted to be and take their lives. So it was always about what can I do as quickly as possible and efficiently as possible to make other people's lives better. And that was a big calling in my life to be able to do that. And so that's what I focused my life on is that. Ended up uh, six years ago deciding to jump into the K-12 space. I have four kids of my own. And uh, seeing I'd stayed away from it because I felt it was too broken to fix from the inside out. We ended up going on a trip down to Central America and did six months down there and was homeschooling. And, uh, you know, we were doing very much the school at home model, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, we're just going to mimic exactly what was done. And so, you know, for two hours every morning, we drill and kill and pound it into them. And they're all like, no, no. And then uh, we go out in the afternoons. And, you know, my daughter, who I think she was six at the time, she was memorizing the field guide to birds and, oh, cool. and learning Spanish and surfing and doing all kinds of uh, great things. The depth of interest that they had when they were studying stuff that they were interested in um, and that they wanted to know about was so much greater than the math stuff or the like, cool project idea I'd come up with, like, hey, we're going to go see some volcanoes. Let's do a whole thing on volcanoes. And they're like, oh, dad, the volcano is really cool. This is awesome. I'm like, yeah, now now draw it and do this. And it became very much like it was just too much, right? And Mm -hmm. kind of meeting them where they are, taking them where they want to go, help them find their passions, and give them the tools to learn uh, were things that all became very instilled in me at that time. And then uh, we came back to the States, and they started back in our local school, and I was working on a college alternative program. Uh, where it was very much about how efficiently can we get people from high school graduate to the workforce in a way that meets everybody's needs. Um, college, the value proposition is broken for a lot of people. So I put a lot of work into that, learned a lot about self-directed learning, different models there, and came up with a, what I thought was a pretty amazing program. This was when MOOCs were coming online, MIT and Harvard were putting their courses up online for free. So lots of content out there to be able to go after. So I started talking to high school juniors and seniors, and most of them didn't know what they were interested in. If they did, they didn't have the real-world skills or, in many cases, the academic skills to be able to get there, which kind of rendered my whole concept moot. And so that was a little disheartening. At the same time, I saw my kids going through, going back to school. When they came back, just that six months away, they were so much more mature than their peer group. It was amazing. And to kind of see that slowly fade away as they kind of reintegrated into the traditional school model and it was a time when i also was helping out at the school and you know you go in there and have these grand halls that were built in you know 120 years ago and beautiful buildings and everyone has to hold the handrail going up the side and they get yelled at if they wander off the handrail it was just a it was like okay we got to do something about this and so that's when i decided to start what is now greenfields academy that's awesome um, so, you know, we've been doing that for six years now, and it's a, uh, you know, lots of learning happening and uh, a lot of fun. It's been a pretty amazing room.
1: That's great. So, you know, you're talking about higher ed, and you would always ask the question, you know, what can I do to make people's lives better in that realm and helping them achieve their goals? Did you ever see like a disconnect sometimes? Like when we're talking about little kids, we're not really talking about how to help, you know, achieve their goals, but somehow, you know, between high school and college where we're still telling them to hold the handrail or to ask for permission to go to the bathroom, all of a sudden it switches and we expect kids to, you know, just like you said, know what they want to do in their life. I mean, did you ever see that disconnect like earlier on before the travel or
0: Oh, yeah, definitely the, the travel and the kind of getting into it. I think one of the most powerful questions that we don't ask children very often, or at least traditional models don't, is like, what do you want to learn about? And when you think about it, that's like such a crazy piece. But I do think college is that in that same piece where most people aren't going to college to get anything other than the check mark of the degree. So when they go apply for a job, they meet the requirement. Mm -hmm, And so, and I think the way college is set up, college is coming apart faster than K-12 will. Uh, The disaggregation of the degree, um, the move to online. uh, The cost. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say the value proposition died. When I went to school, I think it was $6,000 a year or something. And like for four years of six grand a year to find yourself and have an amazing adventure and learn about all of these kind of uh, interesting, but not very practical things, it was great. But if you're going to charge me 40 grand a year to do it, like it no longer makes any sense. And the debt that you take on is the only debt that you can't get out of in this country.
1: Yeah. And then now with COVID, like, so I have kids that are college age. A lot of them are going, well, why do I want, I mean, they grew up doing online learning, but they're now questioning, like, why would I pay that much to do classes online when I mean, at least before they could go, okay, it's the whole college experience, you know, you're getting, you know, you're getting that whole experience. But now that it's just strictly online, they're like, why pay that much for those classes? Because I'm not getting the experience. So that's interesting, the value proposition. Well, and, and do you want to talk more about like travel and how that opened your eyes? We we were really hitting some light bulb moments before we even started chatting about you know, I, I love travel as well as far as it being a teaching tool to your kids. But, you know, what were some, like, discoveries that you found through travel other than yeah, kids I think being that, so much older?
0: I think it's one of the things that why we love it as adults, too, is because it's a great learning experience, period. Yeah. And uh, to, to be able to go and see different cultures, how they eat, how they function, how, they're, how they group together, how they live all of it is just so interesting and amazing to see the full myriad ways that humans can, can be. Mm -hmm. And I think there, there's so much to be just experienced there and so many great adventures of not just the people too, but the places and the, the, the history of it. And then as a, like growing as a human from travel is that sense of, you know, when you live in your little comfortable bubble and, you know, say you never left the city that you grew up in. It's very hard to have empathy for other mm-hmm. people because you haven't experienced their trials, their tribulations. Whether that's an immigrant, who you know, I'm not an immigrant, uh, but you know, I can much more appreciate going to a country where you don't know anyone and trying to make a run of it to make it better for your family when you've traveled somewhere else and you struggled to be able to buy groceries or get to the store. One time I was in Thailand and ended up on a bus because I thought that would be fun and it stopped and everybody, including the driver, got off the bus and we had no idea where we were.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that can feel kind of scary for sure.
0: Yeah, and then you don't know the language at all so you can't ask anyone for help. Uh, yeah. So like to be put in those situations and having to figure out how to get out of them I think also gives you a great sense of I can solve problems, right? I can get through this. I can deal with adversity because I have dealt with adversity because I put myself in situations where I don't know what to do and, exactly. I, and know that I'm going to get out of it uh, one way or another.
1: Yeah, and for some reason, when we travel, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lainey Liberty, but she, she's kind of really big into the world schooling. When I had her on a guest my show, she really brought up the fact that, and when we're traveling, all of our senses are more awake and alive. Because when you're at home, you tend to run uh, most of your life in a habitual manner. You know, you can yep. pretty much with your eyes shut, you're just kind of going around doing the things that you're used to. But when you're traveling, all those senses are wide open. And so I think that it just shows you like the brain, you know, how that can wake up the brain a little bit and, uh, and yeah, how that. it can start to fire, you know, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, more succinctly or something. I don't
0: know. I think it's a great point. Uh, are you familiar with a nice stigma? Uh, no, I'm not. So your eye is actually constantly shaking.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Because your
0: body is trained to ignore constant, constant sensory input. So that's why you're not always thinking about the clothes that you have on or the chair you're sitting in or those types of things because your body is diverting attention away. And so if you hold like at the corner of your eye, you will slowly white out as your brain ignores the signals coming in from your eyes. So that's why your eye has to constantly shake to be able to, uh, to, be able to see
1: That's interesting. And so I think it
0: plays right into that. Like we just get so used to our everyday stuff that we do become blinded. And, you know, I think a lot of mindfulness exercises are around like stopping and remembering and seeing everything for what it is with fresh eyes.
1: Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to get back into, you know, that background, that process of why you started Greensville Academy. You said that you were in higher ed. I mean, I understand like when you have children, you want the best education for them possible, but that's a huge amount of work in order to achieve, you know, a lot of people just go, well, I'll just keep homeschooling. Like what was your what was the background to that and why, why did you decide to found that?
0: Well, I think it was always important to me to help as many people as possible. Oh, and, cool. uh, you know, if, if I had my druthers, uh, the whole family would just be on a sailboat in the South Pacific mm-hmm. and be doing that. But if that's not what I'm going to do, I want to be able to help as many people as possible. And so that's why I wanted to get into uh, the school space because I don't think there's any more powerful way to help people than to help them learn how to learn and who they are and find their place in the world and uh, give them the, the mindset and skills to be able to do that. And then uh, I think, you know, you can really change the trajectory of people's lives at a time when generally everyone is just accumulating baggage,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: how, how can we focus on not just not getting baggage, but instead like getting some new tools and a, a strong and resilient mindset that's going to help you get through. I would love to be able to, you know, I, I know many great therapists, I would love to put them all out of business.
1: Yeah, seems like the longer our society goes with um, just our traditional model of education, it seems like the more therapists we have. And I guess there was a, a connection there where you were working with college students who came out of that system, you know, not even knowing who they were or what they wanted or anything like that. So I guess it doesn't seem that far off the mark, but I mean, I've tried that myself. I know it's a lot of work. (laughs) And so that's a, that's interesting. Um, I always, you know, wondered why people did that, but what do you feel like is the purpose of school? You know, what do you hope to achieve at Greenfield Academy?
0: That's interesting You ask that question. Uh, We just started a podcast called education is life. And the two main questions we ask are what are our obligations to our children? And what's the purpose of school? And uh, I think the purpose of school is one of the biggest problems we have right now is it's it's become child care and test taking. And I think, you know, if if we step back far enough and and let us talk honestly about it, I think those are the two things that school has devolved into. And so when we're upset with what 18 year olds come out of that system with, I don't know what else you would expect. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't speak to them, it doesn't speak to being human, um, it doesn't speak to problems in the world that they're interested in trying to, to solve, it becomes how do I get my gold star as a parent that I got my kid into a good college, that they got good grades, right? Our, our job as parents isn't to make good students, it's to help them become good people. And uh, I think that's where the divergence really is, is that being a good student doesn't necessarily have any overlap with being a good person.
1: Exactly. Yeah. In fact, I
0: think the the skills that traditional school focuses on, like there's very little collaboration, right? Um, if you do, uh, one way of collaborating would be cheating, right? Uh, you know, you have to work on it as your own and you can't work on the stuff you're interested in. You have to work on what you're being told to work on. Once you come out of school, the two most important things you need to be able to do are work with other people and know what it is you want to do.
1: Exactly. And no, so it's like we,
0: we by pushing towards this middle, we're actually just like blowing the whole thing up. I really didn't understand how bad it was until I started interviewing families to start the school about how many young people just are living these lives of quiet desperation, knowing that this doesn't make any sense, that it's not helpful. It's not, it's just not meaningful to them. And they can't talk to their parents about it because if their parents say, yeah, you know, I agree with you, but we just have to do it. It undermines the entire house of cards of, you know, the compulsory side of it. I think COVID's bringing out a great piece in this. Uh, yeah. That, you know, if you want to fix school really quick, don't make it mandatory and then see how many kids show up the next day, right? And you'd have to wholly rethink what they were doing. One of the other things that got me into it was when I learned there's a difference between uh, pedagogy and andragogy. And I started studying on Andragogy, adult learning theory. And I was like, but wait, this is all the stuff that I wanted when I was a kid. Why is it that this is only for adult learning, but for child learning, it's more about, you know, drill and kill, pour stuff into their head and make sure they do well on tests.
1: That's so true. Yeah, (laughs) that's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of goes back to what I was kind of coming to is like, all of a sudden, as adults, you know, somehow we think there's this fine line of like, okay, now you're an adult, now you can make the decisions, um, where I love how you were talking about like, young people already know that it's a game, you know, that it's it's rigged, that it's just, um, we're having them learn things that aren't necessarily, I mean, we're almost insulting their uh, their consciousness of you know what they want to learn when we just shove it you know throw it on them as adults um, when they know that it's it's kind of silly. Uh, to do so. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that COVID is really bringing this all to the forefront and I was thinking about that with the child care. I think many adults and teachers now see themselves for what they are and and maybe teachers always kind of felt that way but it's kind of pushed it to the forefront. You know, Sweden didn't shut down their schools because you know, what do they do with the kids basically? So, so well, I mean, they,
0: they actually did shut down their schools Okay, but they only shut down their high schools and I think maybe their middle schools.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Anybody older than 16 didn't have to go. Was that right? Yeah, so but, it's, okay.
0: the sa- it's the same type of childcare thing, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And many teachers I've seen Twitter posts that teachers are really upset. Like that's what they're talking about. Like let's send everybody back to school because what do we do with childcare? <laughs> and the teachers are are really starting to feel the fact that they're just there for childcare and that's what everybody recognizes them at uh, for sure.
0: It's rough, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So with Greensville Academy, like tell me kind of the philosophy behind that. Like what was your intent when you wanted to start that education opportunity?
0: Yeah. I don't know what your schooling was like growing up, but I I was in a really traditional public school and thought the whole thing was stupid And uh, I did not learn very much from it, but like the life lessons that you take away are are different. Um, So, you know, I always kind of looked at school with kind of a bit of a a skew. So then seeing my kids go through it and thinking it through and watching them start to come home with homework and like just the whole silliness of it started to, to get to me again. And I just knew, especially from the experience in Central America and coming across some homeschooling families that young people are just capable of so much more than what they, it's not even asked of, what they're enabled to do or even know that they can do. And I really wanted to create a a learning environment that empowered them to show what they could do and to do amazing things. And they can learn so much faster than what the traditional piece is. I started getting a good amount of research and trying to find out who has looked at efficacy of learning for kind of that K-8, K-12 mind grouping. And there's very little work done on it. And I think it goes back to the daycare thing because no one knows what to do with a high school graduate who's 12. If we can get done, as many homeschoolers know, your traditional quote-unquote academic work in an hour to two hours a day, what could we take advantage of with that other time? You know, I've always enjoyed showing people and broadening their perspectives on things, whether that be through travel or other ways. And to be able to find the time to do that with young people and really show them how broad the world is and how many places there are to go and many ways to be and to get them the confidence and the mindset, as well as the skills to be able to do those things, I felt was going to empower them in ways to literally be able to do whatever they want to do and uh, learn whatever they want to learn and solve whatever they want to solve. And so I really wanted to create an environment that was fun, that was very empowering, uh, that enabled young people to do amazing things.
1: That's great. So I'm trying to understand how the model works. So you talked about how, you know, basically two to three hours of, you know, we can get a lot of our required educational <laughs> pursuits done in that time. So what do we do with the extra time? Do you do that kind of model where like two to three hours is spent on kind of those basics of education and then you open it up to like, okay, now how do you want to spend your time?
0: It's a little more complex than how I'm going to state it, but in the name of a uh, time, okay? <laughs> About two hours every morning, the Griffins sit down and they'll write out what their goals for the next two hours are. They're working towards mastery level badges in reading, writing, math, as well as some community based stuff and some uh, personal discovery things. Uh, But they get to, for the most part, get to choose what they're going to work on when. And they have little groups that they set goals in and then they come back together after those two hours and review how everybody did on them. And what we're really working on is. Uh, goal setting, prioritization, accountability, fighting through problems, asking for help. Those are the skills that we're really working on developing under the guise of, you know, third grade math. And then uh, in the afternoons, we work on usually group-based projects. Uh, sometimes they're individual projects, but that can be uh, producing a play. Every year they start their own businesses. We just did one with a middle school aged kids where they were Uh, role-playing different government styles. Uh, So they got to be like really creative in how they were running their countries, but they had to do them under like a theocracy, a democracy, Mm -hmm. um, a communism country, and then they had to create press releases. Uh, So lots of interdisciplinary stuff around solving different problems. And so I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Uh, Roger Shank's work, but a lot of building the uh, underlying cognitive abilities that you're going to need for the rest of your life rather than focusing on content.
1: Do you want to tell us more about kind of the, the crux of it, of his work of Dr. Robert? I'll, I'll
0: let the listeners go and uh, get after some of his own stuff. He is a very interesting, uh, very uh, intellectually uh, gifted and uh, bombastic disruptor. You should uh, see if you can get him on the show. He was trying to, like, blow up Yale from the inside out, basically. (laughs) Uh, You know, he's in there saying about how horrible uh, college is while he's working there, you know, and how it goes against everything. And then he went and started a department at Northwestern. So he's done some really interesting work that has not found its way into many schoolhouses, but has found its way into more professional uh, education.
1: That's interesting. I find it interesting, too, that colleges and universities are a little more open to the ideas of making changes, maybe, whereas uh, many of our traditional public education facilities necessarily aren't. Does that speak to the fact that even though many of our public universities still get Government funding, they're a little more free formed. Whereas, basically, you know, because one's funded with tax dollars and the other is paid for by the individual, do you feel like that the one that's paid for by the individual, obviously, they're more consumer driven about who's using their school? Does that make sense? Like you yeah, care yeah, about they, what the parents and children think?
0: Yeah, because it, they, they can leave. Uh-huh. Right? And so I think, you know, you take away that compulsory thing and it definitely uh, drives change faster. That being said, Having worked in higher ed, it is one of the. It's also an incredibly slow changing. Uh, okay. Uh, and it's, it's almost designed to be that way. Um, so the actual governance structure of a university is very difficult to make real change in, and so it is harder that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of what's happened in higher ed over the last, what, 20 years is really about having nicer facilities and rec rooms and Mm -hmm. all that type of stuff, because that speaks to what the students are looking for in terms of quality of life. But the actual academic stuff has not changed very much at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were just kind of talking about that, the difference between going to school online and the students paying a huge amount versus um, now when you can visit the campus, you know, you have the life that you want, but now they're not getting that. They don't want to pay $40,000 because yeah. there's really no point to that. That's, that's interesting.
0: Just one, one more piece on that. A lot yeah. of the move to online education by traditional schools has been maintaining that same price point because it would undermine the classroom business. And so they, they keep charging that high rate and they've kept out for-profit players through a regulation called 90-10, and we could do a whole two hours on that. But basically, if you're a for-profit player in higher education, at least 90 percent. Oh shoot, how's it work anymore? 90 percent of your money has to come from. Shoot, Rebecca, I this used to be such a big part of my life. I've been out of it ten years. I, <laughs> I it it's so amazing how that happens. But the the idea is that you can only get so much of your funding from Pell Grants and Stafford loans and that type of thing. But you also have to make sure that every student is available of those funds. So if you wanted to come in with a lower price point model, you effectively can't because more than 90% of your funding would be coming from student loans. And so they, they force it out. So if you want to see K K-12 change, Make it a, don't make it mandatory to go. You want to see higher ed change? Get rid of the ninety ten rule.
1: That is interesting. And I, I wanted to touch a little bit more about that compulsion in education. Now, Greensville Academy is a private school, right? That, so there's there's no compulsion there. And do you find that that's kind of the difference with the quality of education too? Is that parents have a choice? You know, to go there. I mean, a lot of people say they don't because some people don't necessarily have the funds to do so. But there's still that. I mean, they have the opportunity to go other places. That compulsion is ended, right?
0: Yeah, I think the the biggest piece, we with the amount of agency that we allow during school, is that they do feel that this is about them and uh, that this matters. We have optional days, like when we have a really bad snow day or something here in Chicago. Um, like, hey, you guys don't have to come to school, but if you want to, come on in. It's an optional day. The first one of those, we actually had more young people show up, then we had students, because their brothers and sisters wanted to come. Uh, We had, I think it was, yeah, in the first year, uh, I was in the back, and uh, they were doing opening circle, and they started booing, and I was like, what in the heck is going on? And it turns out, they were just running through the schedule to the day, and they got to, and at 315, that's dismissal, and they started booing. Oh,
1: that's interesting. And
0: they're like, you know, my old school, that was the best part of the day, and that's the worst part here, and then they negotiated with us to be able to, they wanted to do a sleepover. And so, you know, for a couple of reasons we couldn't, and I don't know if it, this is common in Colorado, so we did a sleep under. So everyone gets their pajamas and everything else. But so they opted to be at school from eight in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. Wow. So I think, you know, if you build an environment that people knows for them, they can feel that and they want to be there. I think it's the same thing like a job, Right. Yeah. And jobs aren't compulsory. I mean, you need one to be able to pay your bills often. But if your job was like what most traditional school kids day is, you'd quit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And and they can't quit. In fact, they cannot only quit, they don't get paid and they have to do additional work at home uh because their boss told them to
1: exactly well and then on top of it the environment may not be a healthy environment basically because of the bullying or the social alignments that go on in in schools and stuff like that and so that's one thing that i find interesting is that most parents like well the bully situation toughens the child up but if as an adult <laughs> you know you were in that same situation where you know you were being sexually harassed or or even being harassed in general by your coworkers, you know, you could have legal recourse where young people, we just kind of expect them to just deal with it type of thing. Uh, yeah,
0: whole, I can't remember if Peter Gray or who it was. I love because him. The whole idea of, they uh, have to get through it and it'll just make them stronger. It's just not true. Yeah. It doesn't make you stronger. It makes you a victim. Yeah. And not like a victim mindset victim. Like, no, like a victim
1: yeah and it's not healthy for the bully either because when they get out into the workforce that behavior you know it may serve them in school but in the workforce they will end up in some kind of trouble because they can't treat people like that does that make sense like
0: you know we spend a lot of time on social emotional learning and we don't have teachers in the formal sense right we have a we call them guides we have very little direct instruction that happens, especially as, the, as you move up through the program. And by taking the adult out of the center of the room, the amount of opportunities for student-to-student interaction go up exponentially. And with that comes a lot more conflict, which is fantastic, because instead of it happening out on the schoolyard where no one's there to be able to like, coach people through it and help them understand it and get the learning out of it, it's happening with carrying adults around, who can walk them through, this is how we uh, talk to somebody who has hurt our feelings. This is how we approach someone who is doing bullying behavior. This is how we can hold our friend accountable and still be friends. Uh, I love that. We work on all those things during the, during the day.
1: It sounds like your students will end up being people who can tolerate other people's opinions without being uh what is it triggered <laughs> you know the word or something
0: no so. yeah, we 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 have them tackle some pretty complex issues at pretty young ages just to see how you know things aren't super clear there are two sides to things and i think another one of the bad lessons we learn out of school is there is one right answer and uh, there's not in life there's lots of different ways to get to different answers and uh, building those thought patterns and that ability to think is a, is a big part.
1: That's amazing. One of the other questions that I wanted to ask you, this school is in Chicago, which um, has a high minority rate, um, maybe. But do you offer like scholarships or anything like that? Because I think that's a misnomer. Like people think like if we had just have private school education, it will only be, you know, the wealthy people and prominently european descent the people who are that are full of privilege you know people who yeah. have privilege but
0: yeah so we do offer financial aid and i'd say about 25% of our students are on some type of financial aid with us
1: okay that's interesting um
0: unfortunately chicago is a relatively segregated city and so the thing about most private schools is you are still drawing from a pretty close area and so, um, while we are more diverse than our neighborhood school, diversity is still something that we work on all the time.
1: Well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, and um, I mean, people don't realize you do need, uh, in order to get the, the funding and the scholarships, you do need wealthier families in there to provide such an opportunity. But I think it, it's just one of those myths that people don't. And so, whenever I talk to somebody from private education, I like to talk about, What they do to help, like the disadvantaged, um, for sure. But
0: yeah, and and we keep our our price point is about a third to 50% less than most other private schools, non Catholic schools in the city.
1: Oh, wow. That's interesting. And, you know, when we think about how much public funding is out there for a student, too, that's that's another thing that I think people don't uh, really understand, like the amount that we're spending on a public education is often a lot higher than what, you know, if you could take that same fund and apply it to a private school, you might even have money left over to save for college or something, you know? but...
0: No, it's true. It's, we, um, for every... I was looking at this over when we started, and in Chicago Public School District, for every teacher, there is one and a half non-teaching employees.
1: That's interesting.
0: Our tuition is right around how much the city spends per student in Chicago.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. That's amazing. I'd like to find out how your paradigm has changed over time and with experience, with education, you know, as far as like when you first began to where you are now. What do you feel like the biggest mindset change has been? The biggest unexpected benefit
0: I had was um, the model really required a multi-age groupings.
1: Uh And
0: I didn't put a lot of stock into that. I mean, there's some research on there that you get some less bullying and stuff. But I think it's one of the biggest things that we have. If you're going to be in a mastery-based program, to be surrounded by people who are at your skill level um, that you can work with, and you know, we, we're big on pure learning. I think is super important. And then it's the the leadership, and you know, sometimes you want to be around younger people and just kind of relax and not have the stress. And sometimes you want to go hang out with the older kids. And the ability to do that, especially as they get older and move through puberty and all these other changes. To your point, when some of the other comments you've had about when you get into the work world you're not all surrounded by people Mm -hmm. your age, right? I mean, it's like, we do all of these things in traditional education where it's just, they are school skills, not life skills.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: And it's just a tremendous waste of uh, time and energy and talent. And I don't know, uh, it makes me sad.
1: Well, and that's where I struggled going from uh well in college is the same way, everybody there is close to the same age. I mean occasionally you would have an older student thrown in. you know you never really got comfortable in that situation, but I remember going to work the first time and realizing like I was one of the youngest people and that many people were either uh, anywhere from ten to <laughs> twenty to thirty years older than myself and um, I really struggled with that dynamic, and so I think you know giving children exposure to multiple ages is it's beneficial for them to learn how to navigate in that world versus everybody the same age. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also important in how we work with the guides is that I'm looking for people who can develop authentic relationships with young people and not everybody can. For sure. But if you can have a relationship with someone who is 20 years older, 30 years older, and know that they listen to you, and that they value your opinion, that is also something that's very empowering to young people. One of the, my favorite time is, a, you know, about three months into the school year, and the new families are like, I can't believe how many opinions my kid has. We're having the most <laughs> amazing conversations at the dinner table. And it's like, they've always been there. No one's just ever asked them to share. And I think uh, that also helps once you get out into the world that you can relate with people of all different ages.
1: Well, I love the idea with guides that can build relationships because there are a lot of adults who are very focused on uh, demeaning children or, you know, putting them in their place. And I think that comes from that segregated learning too, you know, segregated by age, because there was always this hierarchy of Mm -hmm. like, if you were an upperclassman, somehow you are smarter and wiser and but it's really apparent with the adult world of how many adults feel about children. Do you feel like that with parenting even that, you know, sometimes we, I mean, you mentioned how when the parents, like the kids come home and they're expressing their opinion, do parents even kind of struggle with that? And how does the home life and the parenting play along with the style of education that you're trying to provide there?
0: Yeah, one of the big things we do when we're, looking for families is that we have a philosophical alignment and so the way I describe good guiding when I see it it's the same as good parenting so most people are on board every now and then and it generally comes from the youngest ones because we give the youngest ones a lot of say right it's a there are democratic components Um, the adults are only in charge of making sure that it's a safe place in terms of bullying and uh, being able to get your work done and the Griffins come up with all the other rules and they're in charge of enforcing all the other rules And so even their five-year-olds have a lot of kind of say in what happens during the day. And so when they get home and dad says, you gotta do this now, they're like, Well, is it okay if I do that in like five minutes while I finish this? And they're like, I told you now. And so some of it is like resetting because I think, especially in this kind of culture of busyness that has come up in the in this country, everyone's just kind of at their wits' end all the time. Mm -hmm. And so to open up your space for a kid who like you really just need to put their shoes away <laughs> yeah. uh, or whatever it is. Right. And uh, you don't have the time or energy to answer all of their whys. But I think that's the getting there is important. And so when we do parent meetings, one of the things we work on are role playing different things that happen at home. We really focus on developing parenting skills. Uh, I love that. And sharing with them, like how we handle things during the day that we are in a line This one little girl, she was five, went on spring break and came back and mom called me up and was like, I got to tell you, we were on break and she was setting her goal every day of what she wanted to get done during that day. And then she'd do it and she'd be all happy. And one day she was upset because she didn't hit her goal for that day. And her goals were silly. Like, I'm going to make God on the whole walk without asking dad to carry me. Right. So it's like these Mm -hmm. totally age appropriate fun goals. And she was upset with herself because I can't remember what the goal was that she didn't hit. And one of her older sisters was like, ha, 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 ha. And mom turned to her and said, it's better to set a goal and not hit it than to have never set a goal at all.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And, yeah. uh, you
0: know, from age five, like building those types of pieces where it's like, hey, if you live a deliberate life, you can live a grand adventure. And I think, you know, that's what my hope is for all of the people. Well, that's my goal for society, right? Is that we all can be on these grand adventures, or what we often call heroes' journeys, and be able to really enjoy life and the mysteries of it and the complexities and each other. And I think we're not at a spot in our culture right now where that happens on large scale. And I think a, a lot of that can fall back to life they experience from K to 18 or K to 21. It makes it hard.
1: Yeah. Well, I love the idea that you actually help with those parenting roles and developing those parenting styles, because I actually think that we've lost the ability to parent because, you know, so much of it was turned over to our government schools at the time. And so much of our parenting has had to enforce and back up what the school says. So it's become very authoritarian. You know, like we were saying, like, uh, if your kid argues with you, that's considered, Uh, that's bad manners you know you don't argue Mm -hmm. with an adult and it was kind of backing that up so i think that's amazing Uh, do you have any more to say like about that parenting dynamic and what you try to do with the developing those skills
0: i think everybody wants to be a good parent right Mm -hmm. and and sometimes in our when we're, we're being our better selves we're really focused on it but no one had to get a parenting license before they had kids yeah, right? that's definitely the only experience they had was with their own parents, and maybe that was great, maybe it was horrible, maybe it was in the middle. They don't really even know because it's the only experience they had, and so I think um, we have different levels of interest in our community about wanting to participate in some of those things. But we also have parent badges that the family can work on together. We ask each family to do a family plan every year, where they sit down as a family and come up with a who they want to be as a family what are some of their goals for the year, so that kind of lifelong learning that you talk about doesn't just happen at a school level, it happens at the family level.
1: Yeah, I mean, the big place that I've been trying to move this podcast is that parents have to model that. I mean, and I love the dynamic of like working, strengthening that family as well, because I really think that um, us as parents, we lose that ability, you know, we expect a lot of out, out of our children, but we're not expecting very much out of ourselves, you know what I mean? We've we've come to a place where the, we're the ones that are having to pay the bills or whatever, and that's that puts us in this uh, place of authority, but we stop really working and achieving our own goals sometimes because of that, you know, we're done with school, we're done with <laughs> whatever, and so we just, I think that that's so important to keep that component going to give our children Uh, Excellent mentors.
0: Um, Yeah, I think lots of people stop growing by the time, as people, by the time they're like Mm thirty. You know, and then we just kind of become set in our ways, and it becomes hard to get out of those ways. And I think you know, back to travel a little bit. I think travel helps to stir that stuff up. It does. um, I don't want to let the parenting talk go by without giving a shout out to. We are part of a, a group of of schools around Acton Academy, which is based out of a Texas. A lot of that parenting stuff, I actually use that, the stuff that was developed by one of the schools in Guatemala. And so just the amount of information we can share as a group of, you know, 200 plus schools informally is great. And so being able to like, being able to use stuff that was not just built by someone else, but in another country to make me and everybody else in the community, a better person and a better parent, I think is just a great multicultural, international approach.
1: That is really cool. Are there any other messages that you want to tell us about your school, the education that they get there, or parenting? And we've kind of touched on so many, but I want to be sure that we hit all the points that you want to talk about.
0: Yeah, I would just say that, you know, when you start a school, actually, it's no different than parenting, right? There is no immediate feedback loop of, hey, you won, you did a good job, right? You have to mm-hmm. wait like 30, 50 years for the <laughs> payoff to see it yeah. happens. But this whole COVID thing and with schools migrating, having to do remote learning, our move has been virtually seamless. I think we honestly had one of our best sessions this last session. They last about six weeks for us. We're actually off this week. We do about six weeks on, one week off. And uh, it was an amazing session. And that's not because our kids are used to working with technology or that we are amazing online learners. You know, I did get a college online, so I had some experience in it but I think it's a lot more about the mindset that the Griffins have been building up over the years of we roll with the punches, we handle change well, we know what needs to get done. We're already doing self-directed learning when it comes to setting our goals and that type of stuff. And so we just go and get it done. It's been super, super easy for us. I mean, I really miss uh, seeing all the, all the families. In fact, they did a caravan drive by yesterday which was like super cute Um, (laughs) and uh, made signs and waved and we got to talk appropriately social distance way. But uh, it's a built a really strong community and the skills that kids need and to be able to see the payoff without having to wait for 20 years um, (laughs) that they can handle this has just been great.
1: That's great. Well, and Griffins, you keep using that word. Is that your word for like the students or?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We have some language that we work with, and I've even been struggling talking with you today of, like, not having to give out, like, a big uh, jargon dictionary. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the word, to me, the word student seems hierarchical. Prefer to use uh, either young people or Griffins, which is the mascot that we have. So in the bridge terminology, Griffin is a student.
1: That's awesome. Well, and, and that's what we were kind of talking about, the difference between your guides and uh, the young people is that basically we're all students, you know, but to separate them like that does put this status of where everybody is at within it. So I think the language that you develop around your school is interesting. I've talked to other Acton academies and I, just the language that they use is so much different than what you would see in a a traditional school but that helps create that culture that's really important for like that growth mindset you know the yeah. the ability to keep learning and to keep striving and do all those things, those types yeah, of things. The, the,
0: the idea that you said like we're all students like it's very true at our school where we do projects that the guides don't know how to do like we uh we did uh, cooking and chemistry was one of them this year one of the guides almost never cooked anything in their lives and so it's not about adult as expert, right? It's a adult as facilitator. And so we often get to learn right alongside them all the stuff that's going on. And I think that's also a great modeling, but it's also like makes for a great job.
1: Yeah, because it takes maybe some of the pressure off, I would think. I mean, as an adult, that's what I've been even struggling with that, like being able to do summer camps and feeling like I can, I can teach these kids this thing when I don't even know how to do it myself. You know, I don't know. I think that it creates like, it's just low pressure, I guess. <laughs> I like that idea for everybody yeah. involved, you know, that we can work through this together and learn it together.
0: Yeah. There's something empowering about a student, yeah. a student, a young person coming in and asking a question and you just being able to say, I don't know how can we find that out Yeah, and build that skill in them and that excitement where they're bringing to you questions about what they're interested in learning about rather than just saying, I don't know, not my area. Uh, You know, one of the things that really pushed this for me, my eldest, he was a, we had just gone back from Central America. I think he's in fifth grade. And I started doing like one math challenge question a week that you couldn't just Google. Right. And I'm like, you can use any resource that you want. Right. So go and figure it out. He's like, can I ask my teacher? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Go ask your teacher. And uh, he goes in and asks his math teacher and she says, oh, geez, you don't need to worry about that. You won't work on that for like two more years.
1: That's interesting.
0: And it was just such a sad moment because when someone opens up and says, I want to learn about this thing, like that's a magical moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, to, to be able to honor that, I think is one of the great things about being at a place like Greenfields.
1: Yeah. Well, I've had that situation happen with my kids at the library. You know, they, they want to learn about a topic that's maybe above where they're supposed to, their skill set has been, and they've been steered by the librarian back to their level. <laughs> and I, I get really frustrated with that too, um, because if the kid's asking the question, let them push themselves. <laughs> I mean, it's right. different they, if they, I were pushing them in that direction, because that would cause that, that unnecessary stress for them. But if they're wanting it and they, they're asking for that stress, you know, they're asking for that, um, they're wanting to take that on versus yeah, it real real bad. learning
0: takes purpose. And if they show up with purpose, wow. Right. Yeah,
1: that's that's great. Well, and we've talked a lot about collaboration. Do you want to talk about how maybe Acton schools, you know, there's this the collaboration with educators working together. I guess I see like these types of schools being much more collaborative than what you would see in, even though they're private schools who are supposed to be businesses and somewhat, you know, money driven, there's just more collaboration. Do you feel? I mean, you've been in the uh, education realm, but. Right.
0: A traditional teacher has very few chances to collaborate, right? They're in a classroom by themselves with 35 students. And that's kind of the, the way it goes. Uh, even just within our school, every day after school, we get together, we have a debrief for the day, we share tips and tricks, you know, how's Johnny doing on this or what, whatever's going on and get advice from each other on how to do it. And then being able to tap into like the broader network. The network isn't that old. Um, We were one of the first schools on and that was only six years ago. And so to have seen it grow and, you know, Jeff and Laura who started it are very much against building up a big hierarchy. And so it's about letting the community kind of start to define what it needs. And the COVID thing really started driving a lot of that. We've had online forums and that type of stuff in the past and people ask questions and we all get together once a year in Texas and uh, do a lot of sharing. But how are we going to move online? What's it going to look like? How do we work with families on it? We all started to self-organize Zoom calls and do these things with uh, people from around the world, all uh, working through the same stuff. So everybody certainly feels like they're part of a bigger movement and they have a bigger purpose than just being teachers or than just running a school, that we do believe there's a better way. And we believe like the power in this model is so important. That we want it not just for our own kids, but for kids everywhere.
1: That's awesome, and I love the international components. Like you keep mentioning Guatemala or uh, schools in Honduras or things like that. That the that uh, that the, the, there's that international component because you know we've already we've already discussed how important that is with travel and building that empathy and uh, giving you a better. Uh, sense of your place in the world um, maybe uh. yeah
0: we even had the Spanish Club ended up uh, doing a trip down to Guatemala and stopped in and saw the school down there
1: that's uh, that's so great well, what do you think, um, you, you've talked a little bit about the hero's journey, creating those grand adventures. What's some of the things that you teach or encourage, maybe <laughs> that we want to get rid of making the word teach, <laughs> but maybe encourage other people to have more meaningful or places that lead them to that life's mission. What's some advice you might give to people about that?
0: You know, I think the biggest piece is you need to back off of the Scheduling some, you know, when I look at so many young young people's lives, you know, they they wake up at six to get to school. At least in Chicago, you know, you could commute forty five minutes to an hour to get to your high school. Then you're there all day, and then uh, you're wanting to get into a good college, so you've got a some type of after school program going on, whether that's a sport or drama or something else. Uh, You come home, you have dinner, then you have another three hours of homework, and then rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. and there is no room in there for self-exploration. There is no room to find the things that you're exploring. It's just the beginning, right? Then finding the time to go after something you really like. And uh, we don't assign any homework. Um, That being said, you know, a large number of our students decide to work at home uh, because they've set their goals and they want to make sure they hit them. And for whatever reason, they didn't get it done that day. But the amount of uh, kids, we we did a, a virtual variety show. Uh, like two weeks into the pandemic homeschooling thing. And just all the stuff that people are working on is amazing. And it allows that freedom of time to go and do things and that freedom. And I'm, I'm really interested to hear how many families right now are seeing that their kids interested, what they're actually interested in when they're home all the time. And like my daughter, her schoolwork, we haven't, we haven't launched a high school program yet. We're doing that next year. And so my two oldest are in high school now. And uh, she's doing an hour and a half of work a day, and that's it, right? And so Mm -hmm. if I didn't know as much as I do about how education works, uh, I would really be wondering, like, what do they do at school all the time? Like, this is crazy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's hard for uh, parents, maybe in this COVID era, to realize, like, I mean, what does learning look like? to parents may look very different than what learning actually is to young people. Does that make sense? Like there's kind of a disconnect of what we think learning is versus, I mean, I, I know with my own children, cause I homeschool them, they had a lot of extra free time. And sometimes I would like, what are, you know, I, I don't understand like what they're doing. I thought like my middle son, I thought he was just playing on his iPhone a lot, comes to find out he's actually writing a book <laughs> on his iPhone on, on like pages or something. Um, but you know, I mean, to us as parents, it, once again, we go back to that parenting thing. It just, it's, it's a challenging thing to, to know how to strip that off and let kids learn. And I agree, like the overscheduled parents are overscheduled. No, nobody's getting enough sleep and that causes, uh, problems with temperaments and, you know, how we talk to each other, as well as our learning, our brains are just not meant to function, you know, for a full 20 hours a day on hyperdrive, <laughs> you know. You and know. I
0: think, you know, one of the reasons uh, named my podcast, Education is Life, is because you're always learning. Mm-hmm. And so I think just having that, we, we work hard to actually blur the lines between the learning you're doing at home and the learning you're doing at school you can get school credit for all kinds of stuff that you do at home, whether that's reading or uh, learning new piano songs or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We have excellent schools. We have adventure badges. We have other things that you can get credit for. So it's like learning can always be going on. And the older kids that we have a transfer in often end up like, they'll tell me about something they're doing at home. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. You should use that to earn this badge. Like, no, 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 no. I, you know, this is for me, not for school. And, That's interesting. And that mindset is just like so hard to break through. When people come in, they go through what I call freedom shock. And it's like, wait, no one's going to be telling me what to do right now. Like, I can, from silly things like I can just go to the bathroom when I need to go to the bathroom, to uh, if I just sit here and stare at my computer or lay on the couch and don't do anything for an hour, no one's going to like yell at me. And, it takes them about a month for each year of traditional school they've been in to kind of like work through that of like, Oh, I want to learn about this. And we've worked to shorten that by prodding them with some questions and getting them going in the beginning. We just kind of let it, let it play out more naturally. But some parents found that to be tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: But it's a, you need to find your own inner compass again and realize that, your education is for you. It's not something that's being done to you. And uh, that's a hard one for a lot of kids to get their heads around after being in traditional school. Yeah. Yeah, We do very little work in traditional schools, traditional education about metacognition, right? And Mm -hmm. really thinking about thinking bigger about what's going on. And uh, that's, I think, especially as technology advances and artificial intelligence becomes a big deal. I mean, it already is, but it's going to become a, they're saying 50% of jobs today are going to be automated within the next 10 years. Computers can do math so much better than we can, right? And we're spending how many hours on this? We're, like, we need to yeah. get back to like, how do we empower the humanness? Mm-hmm. Because if we can know what computers are capable of doing, we can bring our full selves to the world, to the challenges, to opportunities. And- then come back and say, hey, okay, I need an engineer, I need a software person, I need a creative person so that we can solve this problem. And I think that's the type of learning and thinking that we need to ask them to be doing more of because it's what their future is going to be.
1: Yeah. I always think of the time, like sometimes we're uh, preparing uh, children for a world like that we as adults don't understand, you know what I mean? Like, how can we do that? <laughs> you know, When yeah. when uh, down the road, they're going to be working with technology that we couldn't have even phantom, you know, and well, and the fact that just the podcasting, for example, I never thought that I have my own show, you know, like growing up, though, it just wasn't even a thing. But it's better for a child to prepare themselves for the future than an adult like trying to prepare them so that, you know what I mean? I I guess maybe that that goes with a, a, yeah, it doesn't work.
0: (laughs) No, the speed of which the world is changing, there's no way that we can predict what their lives are going to be like or the world that they come into. I feel like I can predict that it's going to have some significant challenges that they're going to have to deal with but definitely (laughs) some significant like they're also saying like 85 percent of jobs in the economy that these kids come out into don't exist today
1: Mm -hmm. and so
0: what we can do is get them the mindset get them the skills get them the ability to learn and the confidence that they can solve problems and do things um those are the big skills to get out there and then the quality of life right i i don't want schooling or growing up or education to just be about, oh, look, I learned my three R's and some history stuff and some science stuff. Um, You know, I got set up to have a happy and fulfilling life that I am confident in myself and what I do and where I'm going.
1: That's awesome. And you mentioned too, I, I think it was even before we started recording, the ability to unlearn. And I think that's where our society is struggling now. We have a whole generation of people who, you know, technology has moved us to a different place and they're still waiting for those jobs to come back. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, so, so their skill has moved on and they've never really learned to unlearn that skill and maybe move in a different direction. Does that Does that make sense? And I think that our young people are going to need that skill even more because as technology advances and the AI, like you're saying, we have to unlearn and then quickly relearn something new or.
0: Yeah, I think the the whole idea of a traditional career is just gone
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, for better or for worse, right? However you feel about that. And if you are, you know, millennials right now, I believe they're changing jobs about on average, every two to two and a half years. And with new technologies, like you just have to like, well, this is how we used to do it. Yeah. And right. Exactly. It's not the way it's happening anymore. And so holding on to things that aren't going to come back. Uh, and I feel like, you know, not to get political, but I think that's one of the biggest challenges I see in this, in the broader, broader world of politics is no one is looking beyond next week.
1: Exactly. There
0: there is no serious planning going on. I think Andrew Yang was the only candidate I've seen recently who's actually talking about what the future is going to look like and what we need to do about it. That's where we need to be pushing hard.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's where that hierarchy thing that we were talking about is really, it's uh, regressing our society because we have a lot of older people who are trying to get back to what we were, but society has moved on and it's time for us to, like we really should be. I mean, Andrew Yang is one of those younger politicians and I'm not endorsing one way or the other or whatever, but, <laughs> but you see like his mindset's different than maybe some of our older politicians that have like, okay, this is status quo and I've earned this, but they're still thinking in a very, old way that's disappeared. It's gone.
0: Yeah. It's all become about campaigning anymore. No one wants to govern.
1: Let's talk about like a habit that you feel like in uh, your personal life that helps create a better learning for that individual or for you, for yourself.
0: I think it's just a, an openness to new things and, you know, defaulting the best you can to yes, being your approach to life then I think it opens up a lot more doors. I think a lot of people, hey, have you tried this? Do you want to do that? And it's easy to come up with a thousand reasons to say no. Yeah. Try to find that reason to say yes. And uh, if you can get that mindset, I think that feeds learning forever.
1: Exactly. Well, in times I've said yes, I always learn, even though I may be a little bit scared or whatever, I always learn new skills, um, which help me you know, to improve. But if we're saying no, or I, you know, I don't know how to do that. uh, A lot of times we miss out on opportunity to be able to maybe learn something different and new.
0: Yeah. And I think the more, the more that you learn, the more it informs your worldview, Um, Mm -hmm. the broader outlook you have on things, the better you're going to be at identifying solutions to different problems that come up, whether it's in your life or in your community or whatever.
1: That's great. So what kind of long-term goals do you feel like, you know, you have for yourself and for the school and what's the legacy? I mean, how does that tie into the legacy that you hope to leave?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Legacy is a, a weird one. Because, <laughs> you know, one of the things about the type of school that we do, even the type of leader that I often am, I like to talk about vision and put it out there and hold it and empower people and give them the tools to go and do it and see for themselves what they're capable of doing. And I, that brings such satisfaction to me. I like to like kind of stay out of the limelight in that. And so
1: mm-hmm.
0: being like head of school or now doing a podcast feels wildly uncomfortable uh, to me. You I know. love
1: that humility though, because that's, I think that's what makes a good leader. <laughs> We're missing that too. You know, the <laughs> humility. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, but I want the world to be a better place, and I want there to be more happy people in the world. And I think that's just going to take a lot of rework. You know, when we came back from Central America, when we were down there, saw some of the happiest people I'd ever met. You know, and they Uh uh, they don't have anything. We're walking along the street on the dirt on the side of the road, and everyone is uh, smiling and waving. And they work, you know, until it gets too hot, and then they go hang out with their family and friends. And Uh there's almost no marketing around. They did a rodeo, which if you ever get a chance to go to a rodeo in Central America and it doesn't like violate your belief systems, or maybe even if it does, you should go.
1: Um, (laughs) Try something new, right? Have an openness. There's no (laughs)
0: order to send. But the advertising for it, you know, they put up a flyer in the city And normally, like around here, logos for every business and that type of thing. And nobody has a logo. (laughs) It just just has the name of the place on it, right? And then that was, we were in in a town on the ocean there called uh, Samra. And uh, as we moved towards uh, the capital, billboards started coming up, $200 jeans against stiletto heels. And that like, easiness and happiness just also went away. And I feel like, Some of those old people who want things to be the way they were, I think there is something to be that, like having to have families where both parents have to work just to be able to pay the bills isn't a super healthy way just to live, right? Maybe it's great for the economy, but what's it mean for people?
1: Yeah, for families and for children. And Yeah, and so we see
0: all this GDP growth, right, and all this productivity growth, but we haven't seen any gain from that, really, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's like you'd imagine, we wouldn't have to work as much, but everyone seems to be working more. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that some of that yearning for the past is valuable, yeah. um, But it takes some serious rethinking, yeah. to, be able to to get there. But so anyway, went on tangent there. Come back, and uh, you know, one of my friends calls up and says, "Hey, you know, going to a black tie thing? We'd love to have you at our table." It's talking like nice, or do I need a tux? And he's like, You need a tux. I'm like, I'm not going. And <laughs> I, I don't have a tux. I'm not going to rent one. And, and so that was about raising money for a hundred or some relatively small number of Chicago underprivileged schools to be sent to summer camps. And it was like, We could just not have the event and take all that extra money and send a thousand kids to camp. Right. Yeah. And I, what I noticed is there are so many well to do, quote unquote, people that I know who are just miserable, like everywhere I look, people are just miserable. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, slight overstatement, but they're certainly not thriving, and they're not joyful. And, you know, the studies showed about 50 grand a year, the correlation between money and happiness goes away. But I feel it's it's the only measuring stick that we use as an economy, and as a country. And so I'm really interested in looking at the world in different ways through, you know, what are we doing about well being, and not just from a health standpoint, Mm -hmm. but just from a whole human joy? How can we increase more joy in people's lives? And if I could find a way to have that be my legacy and that the school helped people to become more fulfilled in their lives, like, then I will have been a very successful
1: person. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of Americans were addicted to that stress. That's another place I feel like young people can teach us things, though, because... That's one thing uh, when you look at the generations, um, millennials tend to be more about the experiences. They tend to be more about like, what am I doing to actually make a difference in the world? Whereas many of their maybe parents and grandparents were all about earning as much and getting as much and you know, whatever. But once again, that's where that generational thing could really, we could really learn a lot if we would just take on a little bit more of like that millennial attitude, like what's the overall experience going to be like, you know, it's more about experience than, you know, how much I'm making or something like
0: that. To pull it back to education, I think that's the system we built, right? You get yeah. your grades, you get you get your gold stars, you do everything you're taught, so you get told to do, so you get into a good college, so you get a good job, so you make a bunch of money, so what?
1: Yeah, what's the end game there? Yeah, so we die with a bunch of stuff. <laughs>
0: Congratulations, you won the game. <laughs> exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. So I love the idea, though, that I feel like there are a lot of people starting to rethink that. I mean, myself, I'm a Generation Xer, but that's what I love about millennials. They've taught me how to think about the experience. You know, like we downscaled, uh, which are realtors, like I've never seen anyone do that. Usually, you know, people go up are always up for a bigger house. And we were like, well, we want to have more of our focus and our resources going to our overall experience, not just paying for stuff. You know, that's just...
0: Yeah, crazy. living below your means is definitely something that the millennials are working on harder than mm-hmm. the last couple previous of
1: previous generations, generations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Give us some parting advice for our listeners and then give us your contact information, how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, I think,
0: you know, as parents, it's really important that we do think hard about what obligations we have to our children's lives and what our children's lives are like, and how school plays into that. And make sure that you are answering those questions as honestly as you can, and that you are doing right by your kids. Because what they're going through right now is going to permanently inform who they are. And as long as Those things aren't aligned because they're spending, you know, seven to 10 hours a day on this thing called school, unless you're homeschooling like you, right, and a lot of your people. But a lot of you have decided that traditional school doesn't fit with what we believe our obligations to our children are. And I think that's a question that everybody needs to ask. And that hopefully will start to turn traditional school around so that we're doing something. It's not about, oh, look at the cool school Rob did. Isn't that great? Um, We really need to change it for everybody. And we need to show that there's a better way in a a broader sense. So, you know, always question everything, find a way to say yes, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When I feel like we've gone full circle, you know, and I asked you, like, what's the purpose of school? You know, now we're back to that. What is the purpose of our education? And that's what we need to think about, you know, with our children in particular. So, Yeah, give us your contact information. Uh, Let us know too about your podcast, how to find that.
0: Yeah, so your email is rob, R-O-B, at greenfieldsacademy.com. And uh, the website is also greenfieldsacademy.com. And you can find about the school there, uh, as well as the podcast we just put up there. It's called Education is Life, um, based on an old Dewey quote. So um, yeah, check it out and subscribe.
1: Great. And that's under, that's actually under when it says blog at the top, right? Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to clarify that if you go on the website, you're not going to just see podcasts. You'll see it's under the blog. So. Yeah. That's, it, it, that's it's, awesome. it's,
0: we're still new to all of this. We've, uh, we've been at it for, wow. This pandemic thing has really messed with my sense of time.
1: I guess it's
0: it's been two months.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. All right. Well, again, we've been chatting with Rob Hugie. Uh, You can find out more about him and the ideas that we've talked about with Greensville Academy at greensvilleacademy.com. He gave his email address, which is awesome. So I'm just hoping to see more of these types of schools Uh, crop up because not everybody can homeschool and like you said let's start rethinking what education looks like for us and remind everybody that we do pay taxes and you know (laughs) we do have funds available (laughs) if we could just harness that (laughs) anyway but thank you so much rob for coming on and connecting with the luminous mind and teaching us about you know the purpose of education and what that's for i really appreciate your time
0: yeah thanks rebecca it's been great Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at
1: theluminousmind.net.